Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, October 12th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The EU has been working on making powerful tech companies less powerful, and they're building a list of businesses that are in their crosshairs. Then, emerging economies are making the case that they need more ambitious debt relief programs to handle the pandemic. Plus, how are Brexit talks going? And how do European countries feel about the progress? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Take a quick look at the apps you have on your phone. Chances are one of them is for a company that EU regulators will be cracking down on soon. The EU's drawing up a hit list of up to 20 of the largest internet companies based on things like market share of revenues and the number of users. So you're looking at a list with a high number of Silicon Valley giants like Facebook, Apple, and Google. And people familiar with discussions say that companies on the list will have to comply with tougher regulations than smaller companies. That means new rules that force them to share data with rivals and make them more transparent on how they collect information. It's all part of a growing effort by Brussels. The EU is pushing big tech companies to change their business practices. The EU is expecting blowback from the companies themselves, but there's a growing political movement for the EU to regulate big tech. And emerging markets have been especially hard hit during the pandemic. Now, these countries are calling out for more help. Government ministers of poor and indebted nations this week will gather for the annual IMF and World Bank meetings. There, they'll make the case that foreign governments and multilateral lenders need more ambitious relief efforts. Now, earlier in the year, the G20 group of leading nations hammered out a debt repayment agreement for 73 of the world's poorest countries. It will let them postpone this year's official bilateral debt repayments for three years. But critics tell the FT that this isn't enough, and the suspension that's out there right now isn't working well. The head of the UN Economic Commission for Africa is pushing an appeal for $100 billion a year for the next three years for struggling economies in the continent. But unless more momentum is made this week, many developing countries will have to figure out how to handle mounting COVID costs over the next few months. And now to Brexit and the view from Europe. European Council President Charles Michel wrote on Twitter after a recent call with Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He said that the EU would like to reach a deal with the UK before the end of the transition period on December 31st, but not at any cost. And he said it was time for the UK to put its cards on the table. David Bond, our Brexit editor, is joined by Sam Fleming and Victor Mallet, our bureau chiefs in Brussels and Paris, to talk about the major remaining stumbling blocks. So Sam, if I can turn to you first, perhaps. The EU's Brexit negotiator, Michel Barnier, said last week that he believes a deal was possible, but that negotiations were like to drag on beyond this week's EU summit. What's the mood in Brussels? Just give us a sense of, of what's being said there. Well, the introduction of the internal market bill by the UK certainly shook people over here. They were pretty shocked, I think, that the UK, a longstanding partner of the European Union, would override international law and had recently struck agreement in such a significant way. And it was, uh, the mood got very bleak here, really, in the immediate aftermath. 
More recently, and I'd say particularly in the past week or so, people become a little bit more cautiously optimistic that a deal could still be done. In particular, the discussions between Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen, the commission president, were described as fairly positive afterwards. The two weren't actually negotiating, but they were setting out their positions in some detail, which seemed at least to be a constructive platform. And then, as you said, the Brexit negotiators themselves have struck a more positive note in recent days as well. There's an awful lot to be done from here. Let's not underestimate just how big the hurdles are before a deal could be struck. But I think what we can say with some certainty is the tone, at least in recent days, has improved. Do you anticipate there being another big confrontational moment, though? It feels like the internal market bill was that kind of big sudden shock and awe moment from the UK to try and, you know, sort of influence the negotiations. Do you think there's another one up the UK's sleeves? Well, I mean, I, I can't predict what the UK's negotiating strategy is for here. What's certainly the case is that there are very significant hurdles, and they boil down to three major areas where the two sides are very, very far apart. Firstly, in the area of fisheries and the access of the European Union to UK waters. That is a very vexed question indeed, and an area where the UK in particular feels it's in a strong negotiating position, because no matter which way this is looked at, EU fishing fleets will lose as a result of the departure of the UK from the single market. The second one is the level playing field elements. This is effectively provisions which will reduce the risk that the UK strongly deregulates in key areas of common interest and allows its companies to undercut their competitors in the European Union. This is something that the EU in particular is very, very vexed about and wants to see strong provisions in this area, the most important being state subsidies, limiting the ability of a government to pour money into its favourite companies. And the third really big area where they're going to have to make ground is on the way the future relationship is governed, in particular the dispute settlement mechanism that will allow the two sides to retaliate if the other party violates an element of their agreement. Then the EU is seen as particularly important, given the fact that the UK has shown itself to be more than willing to override agreements it recently struck with the EU. Maybe we could turn to Victor now and look in a bit more detail at the first point you mentioned there, our old friend Fish, which continues to be a big stumbling block. Do you see any room for compromise on the French side when it comes to fishing rights? Yes, I mean, I think I do. It is very important to the French for the same reason that it's important to the British, which is domestic politics. In terms of economic contribution, you know, fisheries is absolutely tiny, but politically, it's very important to satisfy your fishermen on both sides of the channel. And the French really need to do that. So they need to take something away from the British in terms of access to British waters, which is where most of the French fishing boats get their fish. And that the British know that, and they know that it's a form of leverage that they have in these negotiations. At the same time, the French say that the British need an overall agreement and therefore should be willing to yield something on fish. And furthermore, a lot or most of the fish that is caught in UK waters is actually processed in France, as it happens, in the European Union. Sam, just if I could turn back to you, I mean, what do you think the cost is for Europe if a deal can't be reached? In brutal economic terms, the EU has a lot less to lose than the UK because clearly the share of exports from the UK that go to the European Union is nearly half, whereas the share going back the other way is a much smaller portion. But that's aggregate EU exports. Clearly, the states which are closest to the United Kingdom, including Ireland, Belgium, 
the Netherlands and France in particular have an awful lot at stake here, are highly integrated with the UK market, both in terms of agricultural exports, but also food products, components in the industrial supply chains and so on. So they have a lot to lose. And clearly there's an appetite to get a deal which removes tariffs in particular and non-tariff barriers would still be there, but at least the absence of tariffs would help to smooth some of the transition for exporters and imports. So, Victor, what do you think of the chances of a deal then in the next couple of weeks? Do you think Macron and Johnson, their supposedly close relationship, do you think that might help get a deal over the line? I think the probability is that there will be a deal because it's in the interests of both sides. And neither side wants to have a sort of bad relationship afterwards. The UK and France, for example, have a lot of common defence interests, security interests. They each have hundreds of thousands of their citizens living in the other country. I think an important point to make is that the British often say that the French are the hard men and, you know, the others are more amenable to a a deal that would be gentler on the UK. But actually, the EU 27, that is all the EU members other than the UK that has now left, have been extraordinarily united throughout this whole process. Uh, And while, you know, the, the French may have been sort of rhetorically more demanding, the reality is that they've remained completely on the same page using Barnier as their negotiator. And there hasn't really been that much disagreement. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 